Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about showing professionals the tools that they can use to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, we've got an author with us who is also a business coach and so good at what he does, but he really focuses on solo businesses, the solopreneurs, the entrepreneurs, people like that, which make up a large part of our listening audience. And so I hope that everybody's going to learn a lot today. So please join me in welcoming Adam Dudley to our program. Hello, Deb. Well, hello, hello, and thank you for being on the program. Let me tell folks just a little bit about you before we just jump right in. So Adam Dudley is a certified strategic planner and highly successful coach and consultant to business owners and entrepreneurs. Adam has over 14 years of strategic and executive level experience building and managing small, startup, and early stage businesses and nonprofits in the health and wellness, hospitality, and technology, including SAAS industries. He's raised $715,000 in startup seed funding from individual investors and is instrumental in the delivery of key results in multiple projects. And as I said, Adam is an author and he has written this great book called Clarity for Solos, Secrets and Strategies for More Focus, Momentum and Meaning in Your One Person Small Business. And that's primarily what we're going to talk about because there is so much great information in there. So again, please join me in welcoming Adam Dudley. Hello, Deb. Great to be here. Well, you know, this is is great because as I mentioned at the start of the program, we do have so many people who listen to the program who are those solopreneurs, those one-person shops. Or, you know, maybe it's one person and they might have a couple, you know, other part-time employees, virtual assistants, people like that. And they've got great ideas. They have, you know, they, they have a product or service that they think is going to be absolutely the best thing in the world. But they don't go about setting it up correctly and then and then running it correctly. And that's what I loved about your book is it provided so many great tips on how to, to do this. Um, you know, but but let's kind of step back a bit. Why did you decide to write the book? Well, Deb, I decided to write the book because I've been in business myself for over 14 years now and have played multiple roles, where wore multiple hats. Hats. I've been the entrepreneur, I've been uh, the solo small business owner, the independent professional, I have been a, an executive uh, in a company, I have uh, been a startup uh, co-founder. So I've, wear, I've worn many hats in the entrepreneurial uh, realm. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to being a coach and a mentor to other small business owners, so I decided that I want to, wanted to uh, put together all the lessons I had learned over the past 14 years or so and really try to express them in a concise way so that uh, others could could benefit from that learning. And, and as a consultant and coach, um, I'm really only affecting a small number of people uh, at a time. So this was an attempt to, you know, package some of my most important lessons and, and get it out to more people. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the book, you talk about 
how you initially started in the business world. Um, you know, you you came, you were fresh out of college. You had this great degree. You thought I'm gonna set the world on fire, and not so much. <laughs> and, right. and I think you know, and, and and it was a great idea. So tell folks about that, and then tell people why it wasn't as successful as you had hoped it would be. Sure. So um, when I came out of college in 2002, I had a degree in exercise and sports sciences, and I got my first real adult job and uh, was a wellness program administrator with the YMCA. Mm -hmm. And um, that lasted about nine months because I discovered that I was uh, getting paid about the same amount as a high school student. So, (laughs) so, uh, didn't really give me good feelings about the return on investment I got Mm -hmm. from my college degree. So, um, as I, as I do consistently in my life, if I think I can do better, I, I definitely go and try to do better. So, I found an opportunity to be to be self-employed as a, as an independent uh, fitness trainer at a small private gym uh, in the neighborhood in which I lived, and instantly tripled, quadrupled my income just by making that move, mm-hmm. and also discovered uh, the wonderful freedom and flexibility that you can have as a self-employed person. So I got hooked on that relatively rapidly. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I really had no business, marketing, finance background or education to speak of. So I, I really had, it was sink or swim. I really had to teach myself these things in order to keep my first business going. Mm-hmm. And it went well. I, I expanded it. I grew the business outside of that uh, small fitness studio and started bringing fitness services into people's homes. And I also... Uh, created joint ventures with uh, country club fitness centers to take over and manage their fitness training programs and ended up employing a few people, and including a few personal trainers and a yoga teacher. And uh, the problem was is that my, my self-study, my self-knowledge only took me too far. And really what I, what I didn't know at that time was how to scale up and create systems that would allow me to, to do more. So I ended up working you know, uh, 80 hours a week on average and still working with clients and managing the business. And I ended up burning out, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time. And uh, that was really due to, to knack, lack of knowledge and know-how uh, right. on my part at that time. Right. You know, and I think that's what so many small business owners discover is they are wearing multiple hats and they don't have the knowledge that it takes because they focus on their product or service. You know, that's that's what they know, whether it's, you know, building a widget or doing, you know, fitness training or public speaking or whatever it is. And they don't know marketing. They don't know bookkeeping. They don't know all of the things that it takes to actually make a business successful. And I love one of the, the you know, one of the things that you talk about in your book and, and you, you know, mention this frequently is to get mentors and to ask people questions. And I think that's very hard for people because you also have a chapter in your book about ego. And you know, so how do we get over that and, and actually find people and say, you know what, help. <laughs> what the heck, you know, give me, give me <laughs> advice, do all those, you know, how do we get past all of those things? That, that's a great point. And I think that, uh, you know, I think especially in business and entrepreneurship, there's a, there's a sense that it, it's a sign of weakness to act, right. ask for help. And I think that might be especially true, and maybe not, it might be especially true for, 
for uh, male entrepreneurs and business people, there might be more social pressure there mm-hmm. to, to look silly for, by asking for help. Right. But, um, you know, I think I had a little bit of an advantage in that area because I, I have been, um, I guess, going on uh, over 25 years now of uh, martial arts and mm-hmm. mindfulness training and things like that. So that makes you a little bit more conscious and aware of things like your ego and how that's uh, affecting you. So early on, I was I was very comfortable asking for help and, and being able to say what I call the three magic words, which are, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that just being aware that um, being vulnerable and, and asking questions is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, really a sign of intelligence right. and a sign of uh, being curious and wanting to discover the answers to, to things you don't know about. And typically when you ask people of greater skill than you uh, for their opinion or, or what they think about a particular problem, uh, I think there's an element of flattery there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to feel complimented. So I think it goes a long way towards building rapport as well with people more uh, skilled or successful as you. Mm-hmm. Well, and you talk about the fact that you still need to do your research on these folks. You know, it's, it's just not that you walk in and say, help, somebody, help me. I mean, you, you need to find the right people to help you. And whether it's just to answer, you know, a quick question or to be a mentor, it, you really do need to make sure that it's a good fit. Absolutely. And I've, I've gotten into situations over the years where I've, I've had mentors or I've, I've had people that have helped me. And it turned out in the end that that maybe we, we weren't aligned in terms of our personal values, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean by that. And <clears throat> I think that's a really important uh, thing that's, that's not considered very often is uh, when you're looking for a good fit with different people to work with you, whether it's working with you in your own company or uh, your clients, if you have an independent services businesses, business or a mentor, um, I think alignment of personal values uh, is very, very important to creating good relationships and good working relationships. Right. Well, and sometimes we think, oh, it's my friend, so they should be a good mentor. Or they're the president of the chamber, so they should be a good mentor. And, you know, that's not the case. And, and in many cases, I, I'm assuming that might be the worst reason to make some of those choices. Absolutely. I think that um, something I learned through mentors is that you really want to have a critical eye in terms of who are you ask who are you asking for advice and who are you receiving advice from, mm-hmm. and have they really do they really have that depth of knowledge necessary to give you the right answers, and also to to use the phrase trust but verify, mm-hmm. you know don't just accept someone's word for it because they seem to be in a position of uh, authority or status. You know, verify what they're saying against your own thinking, against the the advice of other people. Uh, I think it's a mistake to blindly follow advice just because someone's in a in a position of status or or authority mm-hmm. uh, from your perspective. Right. So, what makes a good mentor? Because you know, there there are certainly people that we ask for assistance, or we say, you know, hey, I, you know, can you give me good books to read, or or whatever. But really, what is a mentor and what makes a good mentor? That's a great question. Well, I think that a really great mentor is someone that helps you uh, discover more about yourself Mm -hmm. and specifically your strengths and weaknesses and someone that challenges you 
to think differently or to act differently. So the most impactful mentors that I've had in my business uh, career are those that really kind of pushed me and pulled me into uh, a more fuller expression of, of what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a big difference between, for example, a, a sage and a mentor. Right. You know, a, a sage is someone that dispenses advice and tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that a mentor is someone that more helps you increase your own self-efficacy and your own abilities to uh, be resourceful and, and figure out uh, your own ways to solve problems and expand your own capabilities. Mm-hmm. Can a mentor be a, in, in, in the same industry or even maybe a competitor? Uh, I, I think so, absolutely. I think that uh, you can find mentors in the most uh, unlikely of circumstances and places. Um, I think that uh, definitely look to a competitor because uh, competitors, especially when they're besting you, can really help bring out the most uh, capable version of yourself because you have to find ways to uh, keep up with that competitor or or exceed that competitor. So in a way, I think you're right Mm -hmm. that a a competitor definitely can be a mentor. Hmm. Clearly, you you have to have the discussion as to what you're going to talk about and what you're not going to talk about, you know, and, and all those various things. But yeah, it's, it's funny. I have people who tell me, well, I won't even connect with my competition on LinkedIn because, you know, they're going to see what I'm doing. And I tell <laughs> them they're seeing it anyway. I mean, you know, it's like, hmm. <laughs> and, and I learn just as much from my competitors as I do from anybody else. So maybe it is that, you know, it's like, oh, they just wrote a great book or they're giving this great seminar or they attended a great meeting you know, and to me, there's there is enough to go around, and I think that might be you know the catch. And obviously, it depends on your industry because in some cases, you know, there's there's not, and you do have to be very careful about that. But but if they're successful, they should also want to be helping others because it it helps them too. I think you're right, and you can go all the way up to the um, the highest levels of bid business and look mm-hmm. at companies like Apple and Samsung and you will you know some some of your listeners will be surprised to discover that at, even Apple and Samsung uh, collaborate uh, on different things for example I recently uh, heard that uh, Apple will be buying uh, for its new iPhone some technology from Samsung Wow uh, for the screen mm-hmm. Uh, or for the layer of um, material that goes over the screen for their next iPhone. So right. even at the highest levels of business, you're going to find competitors that are collaborating. Mm-hmm. So um, it definitely is going to exist and should exist uh, at the at the lower levels of business with solo small business and, and small businesses. Right. Yeah, and you mentioned collaboration because that's that's a great thing to consider. You know, maybe it is that, that your mentor is someone in a large company. And you know, they might need to be able to refer, you know, people to you. Uh, you know, so maybe it's smaller customers or you know, things that they, they just can't do anymore. And so it, it could be that you're forming a great partnership with them as you know, and, and it works out as a win win for everybody. Definitely, and I think uh, what just popped into my head is that uh, phrase from I believe it's uh, Lao Tzu, the war, of, the art art of war, mm-hmm. about um, 
you know, keep your enemies closer. Right. Right. You know, and, 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 you know, it is something clearly you, you do have to, you know, really be thinking about this and, and not giving them your client list and, and, you know, all sorts of things like that. But, you know, it's, there is enough to go around and, you know, and I hope that people will consider that, you know, your competitors, and I'm putting that in my air quotes here, really can be a great source of information and inspiration. Absolutely. And I also, to, to kind of balance that uh, point out, I think that uh, a lot of the entrepreneurial success stories that I've seen or been privy to, often there are entrepreneurs that choose not to pay attention to their competitors at all. Mm-hmm. And sort of take a head down approach and just focus on, you know, not trying to match up with anybody, not comparing themselves to anybody right. else. And I think that also it can be helpful sometimes to do that if you want to create a totally unique, unique business and be a real innovator in your field. Mm-hmm. So right. I think there's a couple different approaches. And I think sometimes an easy way to get started is to look at what your successful competitors are doing. But then down the road, you can shift to, um, more of a, a, a focused mindset mm-hmm. and, and try to innovate within your own within your own business. Right. So what about like mastermind groups? Uh, you know, and, and I, I'll be honest, I, I have mixed emotions about mastermind groups because clearly it, it has to be a good fit. Um, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, I've, I've been a part of some that have worked and a part of some that haven't. And, you know, so what do you think about mastermind groups? Well, I think as a, as a certified coach, I mean, I've been trained to, uh, know that the research suggests that, uh, group, uh, coaching, you know, slash mentoring, or I'm sorry, slash masterminding, Mm -hmm. uh, environments are, um, you know, very, very productive if mm-hmm. they're run correctly. Right. So I think it boils down to who is running uh, mm-hmm. the mastermind group or, or the coaching group and are do they have the skills necessary to make it productive? Right. Because I don't necessarily think that you always have to have a leader of these things to keep them on track and make sure they're productive and make mm-hmm. sure that everybody's being heard and getting value out of the, uh, the group. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it's important that everyone in the group be at similar levels of skill and success. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have some people uh, that are that are uh, of lower levels of skill or, or higher levels of skill, and um, it's not going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. So there, there's different things to uh, be aware of if if someone is thinking about joining a mastermind or a, or a coaching group. Right. You know, and, and I'll be honest. I think the times that that I haven't felt that that they were beneficial comes back sometimes to my ego you know I don't want to admit that Mm. you know I don't know you know what taxes I'm supposed to be doing or I don't want to admit I don't want to admit that I need help and you know so it's it's as you said you know we got to get over that (laughs) absolutely absolutely and I think that uh, finding a group run by someone who's capable of creating a safe and secure environment, you know, where everybody in the group, regardless, regardless of how much uh, your ego is calling out to you to help you uh, be able to speak up and share your uh, innermost fears and, and discomforts. So mm-hmm. that's another reason to really evaluate 
right? Who's running the group and do they have the, the communication skills necessary to run a really great mastermind or coaching group? Right. You know, and, and in a lot of ways, they're set up kind of like a board of directors. And, you know, and the, the truly successful ones that I've heard about have written agreements, you know, that, that information will not be shared outside the group. And, you know, and, and it typically just has one person per industry. And, you know, obviously they, they all vary. But, but again, it comes back to exactly what you said. There has to be somebody who is running it who knows what the heck they're doing so that, you know, it's not – you know, that, that people do feel safe, that they can share and, and ask for information that, you know, in some cases might be something that, that really is, for lack of a better phrase, a touchy subject. You know, maybe they've, they've got a problem with a client not paying bills and, you know, or, or they owe money or, you know, all sorts of things. And so it really is something that you have to enter into and give it a lot of thought before you do. Yes, I absolutely agree uh, with you, and uh, I've been part of several mastermind and, and coaching groups over the years myself, mm-hmm. and uh, again, I really attribute uh, the success of the group uh, to the skill of the person leading the groups, mm-hmm. and uh, do they knew, know how to assemble a group of people that are equivalent in their skills and, and experiences, mm-hmm. and do they know how to run uh, a good meeting? That makes everybody feel heard and safe and comfortable and and uh, that they're able to get the help they need. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, you've, you've mentioned several times, and, and I really want to talk about this in detail because, you know, I've been in business, oh, good golly, 12, 14, 15 years. I'll mm-hmm. have to look it up. <laughs> and, and as a solopreneur, now I have had virtual assistants, things like that, mm-hmm. but I've, I've gone it alone. And, you know, and we've mentioned my ego and, you know, I'll be honest. Yeah, my ego <laughs> is, you know, pretty strong. I was about to say healthy, but it might be unhealthy. Um, but, but I, you know, a lot of times I thought, oh, I don't need a coach. I can figure this out on my own. Sure. And, and it's only been recently where I have thought, silly person, you need <laughs> to have a coach. So, you know, and, and you are a coach and, and that is, you know, that is what your, your business is, mm-hmm. but you've got an entire chapter in your book that talks about hiring a coach and what the criteria are, is, are, um, for, <laughs> for actually making sure that, again, it's a good fit, that they are a, a, you know, a coach that you're going to be able to work with because this might be a long-term uh, arrangement, you know, it depends on, on what it is. It, it is probably going to cost, you know, not an insubstantial amount. You mm-hmm. don't want to pay them, you know, 20 bucks because mm-hmm. this, this pretty much is you get what you pay for. So, you know, what are the steps that someone should take when they're considering hiring a coach? Actually, first of all, let's let's step back. Why should somebody hire a coach, especially as a solopreneur or, you know, that, that small business owner? Sure. So I'll start with a, a personal story um, about that, and I think that, uh, it, it's it, it's almost sounding a little bit cliche these days, but a common argument for uh, business uh, owners seeking coaches is that um, you know I consider building a business or an entrepreneurial venture a very um, very high high intensity, very high energy, uh, challenging thing, mm-hmm. and uh, we often equate that to the same thing that. Uh, amateur and professional athletes when they're wanting to compete at a, at a high level uh, go through. You know, it's an intense focus, intense energy, um, intense skill. 
And so as um, my sport uh, for about 17 years through college was Olympic Taekwondo. And so I competed and and trained in that uh, sport and martial art for Mm -hmm. those years. And uh, we had a team at the, at the university where I went, mm-hmm. and I was president of that, that uh, group. And um, it wasn't until college that I was able to spend a little time at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and mm-hmm. uh, train with the uh, national team coaches over there. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had had coaches and teachers uh, throughout that experience, but, but no training I, I, I did on my own, no other... Uh, teachers or coaches helped to bring out the best in me, as did those coaches at the Olympic Training Center. Mm-hmm. And it was just a remarkable experience working with those that level of highly skilled coach and how they were able to really and quickly bring out the best in me. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it as being any different for a business owner and an entrepreneur. And you know, um, I, I have friends that are executive coaches. I'm not an executive coach, but I mean, every, pretty much every corporation in every department are bringing in executive coaches to work with their coaches and their teams mm-hmm. uh, to improve performance. So this uh, has been and is beginning to trickle down into to small business and, and entre- entrepreneurial ventures. So mm-hmm. I think the the benefits of it especially for a solopreneur because you're typically on your own and unless you have a really good network you don't have many people to bounce ideas off of or mm-hmm. mastermind with it can be really invaluable uh to have someone there that's on your team and that you know a lot of my clients over the years that's the benefit uh in their testimonial to me afterwards that they've cited many times is that you know it's really just comforting and, and great to have somebody on my team. Mm-hmm. So I think all those reasons, including uh, stretching yourself and, and improving your own uh, performance in your business and achieving the kinds of goals you want to achieve, uh, th- those are all really great, great reasons to have a coach in your business. Right. And, and I love the, the comparison with an athlete because there's no athlete at any level where where they have been successful where they haven't had a coach and you know it's funny because we all think holy cow they're very successful you know whether they've won an olympic medal or you know one of those big fancy rings or you know or maybe they're just you know playing on their their local soccer team and and you know winning you know their their city championship there's been a coach that is there and so if a professional athlete or an elite level athlete can do it. Why shouldn't we want to do it as a solopreneur? Of course, if it's available to us, and and having studied the, um, you know, the the coaching methodologies uh, mm-hmm. that are available today, and and also having studied the coaching methodologies in in sports, uh, they're not so much different. You right. know, it's it's all about uh, having structured. Uh, relationships and communication and and Mm -hmm. very specific goals and a vision for what you want to achieve through the coaching relationships so there are many parallels and i think that it's it's worthwhile for a solopreneur a small business person especially if they're uh, struggling or especially if they have uh, a limited background in terms of business and marketing and Mm -hmm. and management topics like i did um 
I think it's it's just invaluable to at least look into it and, and talk to a few coaches and find out if it's a, it's a good fit for you. So how does one go about finding a good and, and professional coach? Because, you know, we went through a phase there, and, and I think it's, it's kind of clarified itself where everybody was a coach. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and obviously there are certification programs and, and things like that. But, you know, how and, – and so the, the – you know, it's kind of like how everybody became a realtor there for a while. It was the cool thing to do, and you made a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and then those people became coaches, and, you know, and, and so they just you – know, oh, I'm, I'm joking, of course. But, but it was something where so many people said, oh, I'm a coach. Okay maybe maybe not so how does somebody go about finding a good coach that's a great question and i i think there it's a multifaceted answer um i guess let's start with the topic of certification Mm -hmm. so um the the life coaching and the business coaching field much like my as i call it my first career Mm -hmm. the the fitness industry uh, when I when I came out of college and had a four year degree in exercise and sports sciences, that allowed me to uh, sit for an exam for basically the the highest and most well regarded uh, fitness and sport training certification there is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so when I went into the, the the field and started working with clients, mm-hmm. um, I discovered I would be often working alongside personal trainers that either had no certification or they had a, a weekend home study course. Right. You know, and I, I had a, a four-year degree, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the science of exercise and how it affects the human body. So, you know, some of these, I would say that some of these trainers, they were, they were capable and they knew what they were doing. They were using sound practices. Some of them were not. Some of them mm-hmm. were clearly um, doing things that could potentially injure the client. Uh, they they were they were um, you know not communicating with their clients well, not following best practices to make mm-hmm. sure that their clients were getting. So I think that the same thing is true in the business and life coaching field that you will find uh, coaches that are certified and uncertified, mm-hmm. and you will find uh, coaches in both of those categories that are skilled and not so skilled. So it's not to the point yet where we have professional licensing like we do in the, for example, the health profession. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you obviously, if you're, if you're a nurse, you have to have a license and you have requirements for continuing education and things mm-hmm. like that. But I think that uh, I would today lean towards, after evaluating the requirements of an organization like the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, after evaluating their criteria and going through the process, I think that they have set a very high standard uh, for business and life coaches. Okay. And I think that anybody who hasn't been through those, uh, those, that process or, those, or met those requirements, uh, unless they have some kind of uh, corporate communications background or maybe a psychology degree, uh, I think that it would be difficult for them to acquire the real uh, research-proven best practices mm-hmm. uh, for coaching and communicating with, with other people around their goals, uh, it would be unlikely that they have those skills. Right. Uh, because, you know, I thought, you know, when I, when I started, uh, started off as a coach, I was uncertified. I kind of fell into coaching 
uh, by accident. I didn't try to be a coach. Someone mm-hmm. asked me to help me with help them with their business, and I said, "Yeah, I can probably do that." Sure. Which maybe is how a lot of coaches start. Right. You know, somebody mm-hmm. sees someone that's successful or capable in business, and they want to reach out and and ask for help with their own stuff. So that's how I started. And until I got into the certification process at ICF, um, I realized that there was a lot I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I realized that there were a lot of time-tested and research-proven techniques uh, for coaching that really could enhance my ability as a coach to help my clients get the kinds of results they were getting and also increase their also increase their own capabilities as a business person. You know, not mm-hmm. just give not just give them the answers or direct them about what to do next, but help them discover uh, their own resourcefulness mm-hmm. that they could use to find their own answers to their own questions. So making mm-hmm. them more capable and, and able in their own business. Right. Well, and you've got an entire chapter in your book that talks about how to really research a, a coach and to know if you're getting the the service that, that you should be. And, you know, so give us a couple more quick tips, but we don't want to give it all away because we want people sure. to buy your book. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, I think that especially if you're hiring a business coach or even uh, if you want to call them a marketing coach to help you grow your business, mm-hmm. I think you need to take a hard look at their process mm-hmm. and how they onboard you as a new client. Because there, there are best practices in consultative marketing and selling, mm-hmm. and I, and I, you know I've been doing these all the way back till you know to my first career as a fitness trainer. You know, does the coach know how to market and sell? You right. know, based on the process that they take you through mm-hmm. uh, in terms of qualifying you and onboarding you as a client. So, every potential client should at least have a sense of. You know, what those best practices look like and does my coach, uh, you know, follow those? And for example, you know, if you inquire uh, with any coach and the first thing they start talking about is, is fees, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably, they probably don't know how to market, in the, market right. and sell themselves well because mm-hmm. this is a, a big investment usually mm-hmm. uh, for an entrepreneur and a business owner and, uh, a coach that immediately responds to an inquiry with fees doesn't understand that there's a, uh, a, a process of qualification and rapport build, building to make sure there's a good fit mm-hmm. before you onboard or even offer a new client to come on board with you. So that's just one little thing you know, that I look for when I was mm-hmm. hiring a coach. I was like, does, does this person even know how to market and sell their own, their own business? Mm-hmm. You know, because otherwise, how could they teach me anything? You know, well, and there's you know certainly lots of ways to research them. You can look at their social media, you can look at their website, and, and as you mentioned, you know just talk to them. Um, and absolutely, and how do they respond to emails? You know, I'm one of those people that I, I'm a grammar Nazi. You know, <laughs> I and and if somebody sends me an email where they have typos and th- now things happen. You know what? Especially <laughs> if we're responding with our phones. You know, all those various things. But I also look at it and I think, you know, this is their business. And if they can't take the time to make sure that their, you know, their grammar, their punctuation, whatever is correct, then maybe quality isn't something that's important to them. And, you know, and 
And it's funny, I, I work with people to show them how to use social media when they're in a job search mm-hmm, mode. Mm-hmm. And, and I say, you know, it is about that quality. You know, if, if you have typos in your resume, on your social media posts, all those various things, then they're going to think, does that mean that you don't really care about your work? Um, you know, and, I agree. And, and it's funny because we see it all the time. And, and yes, we're all guilty of, you know, typos and, and all those various things. But... It, it's, it is just part of that research process that you mentioned. Right, right. And that's just little giveaways you can use to, to see, um, you know, what kind of quality a coach you're, you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And, and also to, you know, look at things, how, how quickly, excuse me, how quickly do they get back to you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's the tone of voice they use in, in their emails and things like that? Right. You know, and, and it is something that, you know, we want people to know that we're professional. So if we're dealing with someone and they're not professional back, you know, there is something. Now, you know, again, things happen. So maybe you send an email and they don't respond right away. Okay, if I get an email back that tells me, you know, I was out of the office or whatever, it, you know, it's okay. There are things that happen. But again, is it a pattern? Do they not respond? Um, and, you know, and, and you mentioned fee. You do get what you pay for. You know, it, it, yeah. and, and it's tricky because as a small business owner, of course, you know, every single penny we just, you know, grasp in our little hands and, and we don't want it to go away because, you know, money is very tight. But if you're looking for cheap, you're going to get cheap. You know, that's that's just kind of the, the thing to remember. And, you know, it's, it's best to have a, a good fit rather than to go through the process and maybe pick up bad skills and bad techniques and get bad advice just because you didn't want to pay as much. Exactly. And I think you hit on an important point there, and I'll, I'll add to it in that um, I don't see coaching as a, as a short-term relationship. You know, it's something that uh, develops over time, and the and the coach builds rapport with the client. Mm-hmm. And as uh, the coach gets to know the client uh, more intimately and understands things like their personality type and background and and uh, their goals and what they really want out of the relationship, that evolves and and blossoms over time. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not a short term thing where. You know, you don't you don't want to be you know f- uh, find yourself in a let's say a cash flow crunch, which is incredibly common with mm-hmm. uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs, and and all of a sudden say, oh, you know, I really need I really need to generate cash next week. Let me, maybe a coach can help me. Let me go find a coach. Right. Mm-hmm. You know that that is not going to be a productive uh, relationship from the get go. So. Right. That's not what coaching is about. Coaching is mm-hmm. something that develops over time, and as we discussed earlier, you're really—it's really a professional and personal development activity. Mm-hmm. It's something where, you know, you want to bring out the best, most capable version of yourself, and you see a coach as someone that can help you evolve to that to that place. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I want to talk about some of the things that you mentioned in your book that are about clarity and focus. Great. And, and it's funny because you know, I'm reading it and I'm reading your book and I'm thinking, oh dear, because I'm <laughs> the one that goes squirrel. <laughs> you know? and, and my mind is, it's very difficult. And you know, I'm just, I'll be right up front with this and the people who know me know this is true. Focus is sometimes a problem for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it is for so many people, especially a small business owner, because 
we're thinking about the networking event we just went to, the brochure that we're supposed to write, the, 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 this, the, this, the, this, the, this, the, this, you know, and, and actually sitting down and focusing is a problem. And you've got some great techniques. And it was, it was, you know, interesting when I was reading, tell us what your daily, well, first of all, tell us what you do on Mondays and then tell us about your daily schedule because you know, I read it and my first thought was, oh my gosh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> and then, as I was thinking more about it, I thought, yes, you can. <laughs> you know, obviously it'd be a variation because I don't do, you know, some of the things that you do. But but I loved it because it it really made me think, you know what, that could be a fabulous thing. And and so tell us about that. Sure. So, so I'll preface that by saying, <clears throat> you know, my, my wife and I, we... We've been together, or we've been married, going on ten years, and uh, we we've done a lot of personal and professional development together. And mm-hmm. you know, we we've brought ourselves to a point where I think most people on the outside, and they've said this, is that we we do our lives in a very intentional way. Mm-hmm. You know, we we really consciously work together to decide how we want to live mm-hmm. and what we want our life to look like, and and we work hard to make sure that's how we're living. You know, and, and just like anybody, sometimes we get off track and and we, we have to pull ourselves back on track. But the thing is that you have a, a, a vision mm-hmm. about how you want things to be and you're, you're constantly taking steps towards making sure that that vision is real. Mm-hmm. So one of the things included there is something we decided to do a while ago and we call it uh, Mindful Mondays or Monday Fun Days. We have different names for it, but basically that means... On Mondays, it's kind of an extension of the weekend uh, with just work that I would call thinking or conceptualizing or or creative thinking. So it's all about um, doing things like reflecting on the the past week's activities and reviewing uh, vision and goals and plans, both short-term and long-term, journaling, um, and we also usually take some kind of adventure. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of outdoors people and mm-hmm. we like to be in nature. So we'll take our bike somewhere out in nature. We'll go to a botanical to gardens, anywhere that is kind of away from our workspace. Mm-hmm. And through that process, a lot of clarity tends to develop, you know, through, through that, through that whole process. So mm-hmm. on those Mondays, those Mondays are really creative thinking and planning days and, the difference is that most people in the world, you know, they get that Sunday night anxiety and they hit the ground running Monday morning, push, 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 push. Mm-hmm. And we just decided to do the opposite. You know, let's see what happens if we take it easy on Monday. Mm-hmm. And what I found pretty much immediately is that my Tuesday through Friday work week uh, was way more productive mm-hmm. than it had been when I was working a Monday through Friday work week. And uh, plus, we, we get to say we take an kind of take an extra day off. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, like I said earlier, one of the things that, that hooked me on being self-employed and an entrepreneur was the freedom and flexibility, you know, and so a lot of us forget that we can structure our work in a way that allows us to take advantage of that freedom and flexibility. Right. So it's something I really advocate. And I, when I'm working with clients, I am totally respectful and understanding of most people are not ready to take all of Monday off. So we can say, you know, look, let's make it a, you know, Sunday night for an hour mm-hmm. or two hours, you know, or, or Monday for one hour. First thing in the morning, it's totally 
your time to reflect, to review plans and goals and visions, maybe do a little journaling, journaling, mm-hmm. a little writing, and really consciously and intentionally prepare for your work week. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have a daily schedule that, you know, obviously it's flexible, you know, things happen, but tell us what a typical day is for you. Sure. So I, you know, as many of us have, I have tried uh, many, many productivity and time management programs. I mean, right. And it know, works for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all the apps, all the tools, all the physical organizers, I think, you know, I have been through 80 or 90 percent of them over the years. And it seems like there's new ones every week, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the one I'd keep coming back to, and I first read about this in a, in a fantastic marketing and sales book that should be on everybody's shelf, which is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I first read about it in his book, and it originated with uh, Charles Schwab. And he, Charles Schwab had a problem with the productivity with productivity in his company. So he brought in a consultant named Ivy Lee. And Ivy Lee said, you know, give me a few minutes with your executive team and I'll solve your productivity problem. Mm-hmm. And Charles Schwab said, okay, let's do it. And all Ivy Lee said to all the executives was, every day before you shut down for the workday and go home, I want you to write down on a card or on a piece of paper the six most important things that you have to get done the next mm-hmm. day. Okay. And Schwab immediately saw an increase in productivity mm-hmm. when his executives use this practice. And it's so simple. And Chet Holmes in his book, he, kinds of, he, he expands on this practice and tells you that after you create the six things, I now call it my daily six, mm-hmm. and I do it every day. I, I write down my daily six at the end of each workday. Mm-hmm. Those are the six most important things I have to get done the next day. Next day, mm-hmm. And then you prioritize them. You go one through six. And typically what you want to do is you definitely want to prioritize the things that are most you're most resistant to or are the mm-hmm. hardest things first. Okay. Right? Because uh, we love, we always love to put those hard things off till later and somehow, mm-hmm. some way, they never get done, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, there's always a reason. It's like, ah. Right. Right. So that's step two is prioritize your list to six. And then step three is to actually decide how much time you think each of those things are going to take, whether it's a half hour, one hour, or 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'll mention that anything that doesn't take a half hour to do is probably not even worth not your consideration. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's probably something that could be outsourced. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, then you actually take those things and you put them into your calendar, whether it's your, your digital calendar or your paper calendar. You want to actually schedule those things in mm-hmm. to your schedule and around maybe the meetings you already have scheduled mm-hmm. um, to make sure that those things are on your calendar when you wake up in the morning, like appointments and commitments mm-hmm. to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that practice, no matter how many fancy schmancy, high-tech tools of organization and planning I've tried, that simple tactic is what I always return to, and mm-hmm. it just, it never fails. I mean, right. it's so simple, you don't need any technology to work to do it. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, by writing it down the night before, 
you know, you give your uh, you give your subconscious a chance to kind of work over it while mm-hmm. you know through your evening and while you're sleeping. And I find myself just waking up, knowing exactly what I need to do. I know what my focus is, and it's almost it creates a sense of uh, automaticity. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit down and you just work on priority number one in the time frame you agreed to, priority number two, and you just knock it out. And at the end of the day, if you've gone over time and there's something left on your list, then you just move it over to the next day. Right. But um, and it's not that keep one that just keeps carrying over. I mean, because we all have that's that, right? right? Our, <laughs> exactly, our to-do yeah. list that has that same dang te- right. t- a task that's been on there for six months. You right. Know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so. and, and I love the concept of just six. You know, and it, it could be. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about this. I'm thinking, okay, so I have clients. Yeah, mm-hmm. those those people who pay me. So maybe it's that my priority one. Mm-hmm. And, and I love in, in your book, you talk about the fact that priority is singular. It That's really right. It's not meant to be plural. <laughs> you know, priority is a thing. So, you know, you don't, you're not getting your priorities in order. You, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, but, um, but yeah, so maybe priority one, and, and this might be something that does carry over every single day for me, might be an hour on client work. Mm-hmm. You know, where I know that for that hour, I'm not going to look at email. I'm not going to, I am only going to do stuff for that client. And, you know, and, and, and rather than five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes here, you know, granted, exactly, yeah. again, but, uh, you know, and, and by doing that and by saying, okay, I'm not going to check my email. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go squirrel. Um, you know, I'm not going to be on Facebook looking at the cute cat videos, <laughs> all those various things. You know, that's so so that's, you know, priority one, you know, priority two might actually be responding to emails, all of those various things. But but again, if I've got it in my calendar, exactly it's kind of hard to ignore it. Exactly. And, and I really advocate that over time you want to get to the point where where you have these structured uh, structured blocks of time where you know exactly mm-hmm. what you want to get done with that, that time frame. Mm-hmm. You really want to start to have a practice of turning off all potential uh, distractions. You know, right. really take the phone off the hook or put it on silent. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe even turn your phone off, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't even see any notifications or anything like that. Right. And um, just kind of head down, and, and Chet Holmes call it, calls it uh, pig-headed discipline and determination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just head, right. head down and, and get that thing done. You know, knock mm-hmm. it out before you go mm-hmm. on to the next thing. Well, and it's funny because we laugh about, you know, turning our phone off and not responding to emails. And then, you know, that that you get that thing in your stomach that goes, ah, <laughs> you know, and, and because it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, something's going to happen. And, sure. and need, you know, I yeah. OK, five, ten years ago, we lived without these things, folks. And business yeah. went along just fine. It did. You know, and, and, and now we're not saying turn it off for, an, you know, for eight hours. Now, obviously, it depends on what it is. I mean, I know people, in fact, I, I saw a post on Facebook, you know, the other day about uh, a friend of mine who is an author. And he, he was actually in a motel working on his next book. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was, you know, he didn't want any distractions. He didn't want anything. And, and he said, I will be offline for the next two mm-hmm. you know and and now did he still probably check facebook and you know things like that yeah 
but he also <laughs> set that expectation to everybody else. Yes. You know, hey, you know, you can't contact him during that time. And, you know, and, and I love that concept, too, of setting those expectations, you know, telling the clients, I do not respond to emails between now and now. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I actually had that conversation with a client when I moved from Denver to Atlanta. It was a California-based client, so three hours difference. You know, we went from one hour difference to three hours difference. And we had, you know, had just moved, and at 7.30 at night, she was, you know, obviously still in her office. It was 4.30, and, and she had things that she wanted me to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm all in my jammies for the evening, you know, all that <laughs> good stuff. And, and um, you know, and, and I finally told her, I said, you know, obviously if it's an emergency, that's different. But for regular, you know, tasks and things, I said, I won't respond at 7.30 at night. And I won't expect you to respond at 4:30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and that was a pretty good deal. You know, plus I have office hours. I tell people, you know what? After five o'clock, it goes to voicemail. Do I check it? Sure. Um, you know, and 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 you know, I, I help people with their social media, so there are times where things come up on weekends and evenings and things. But you know, if it can wait, it waits. And it's amazing how fast you can you know get people. And I hate to say trained. But you get them used to the fact that, you know, these are office hours and this is when I focus. And, and maybe it is that, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the first part of your day, you spend a couple hours just really focusing your mind and, and doing yoga and, and mm -hmm. all of those things. And so people are not going to be able to reach you during those times. Right. And they just know it. Right. And I think that goes to the old saying, we, we teach people, we teach people how we want to be treated. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think you brought up a really important point for solo entrepreneurs, especially solo entrepreneurs that are coaches and consultants uh, like us, is that, uh, you know, setting boundaries and setting expectations with clients is a, is a really critical and key skill. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise you're really going to get pushed around and, and knocked around and, and having people infringe on your your time and your personal time. So. Mm -hmm. That's a really key skill that uh, solo entrepreneurs have to cultivate if they want to have any kind of life balance. Right, right. Well, and, you know, especially if you're working from home, you know, people tend to assume, oh, well, you're available 24-7 because you're working from home. And, and you know, and, and so I found the easy way to do it. I told people, here are my office hours. If something happens outside those office hours that really need to be taken care of, my rate is double. That gets their attention. Good for you. <laughs> you know, they almost always yeah. discover that it can wait. Um, you know, now if it can't, it can't. But but yeah, you know, you hit them in their pocketbook and they figure out, oh, I'm not going to bother you at 10 p.m. <laughs> on a Saturday night. That's great. That's a great tip. So we've got just a couple minutes left. Um, you know, one of the things that I think happens to virtually every small business owner, or entrepreneur, is overwhelm. You know, they mm -hmm. they just feel like, oh my gosh. I can't do this anymore. I don't know where to start. You know, so, so talk to us about how to eliminate being overwhelmed. That's a, that's a perfect question because quite honestly, in, in all of my work as a, as a business coach, which is going on, I guess, eight years now, eight years, mm -hmm. um, pretty much every client I work with, 90% showed up in some state of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I will mention that these were often clients, which is the majority of my clients as well, have a very limited amount of business marketing and management 
experience. And so when they first enter the field of entrepreneurship, it's really, really daunting. I mean, first of all, the sheer volume of information available on Mm -hmm. how to do business and marketing things is just overwhelming in itself. So what I found that helps is adding structure. You know, Mm -hmm. adding structure, and this is where my strategic planning background comes in and, and helps on the solo business level, is very few solo and small business owners have a a strategic plan, Mm -hmm. you know, that includes uh, their vision and their goals and what they, you know, goals, whether it's quarterly or monthly or weekly. Um, Usually overwhelm is about not knowing what to focus on next. Right. And so that's where the structure, the structure and the goals and the plan uh, comes into place. When you have Mm -hmm. that, uh, when you have that in place, you, you know what you're working on. You know what needs to be done next. And a lot of entrepreneurs and small business people tend to operate without plans. Right. And, and even if it's yeah. just your list of six, that's going to help. Exactly. Exactly. Usually overwhelm is the opposite of feeling in control, right? So structure and plans, uh, like you said, even just if it's your daily six things you want to get done, um, that gives you a sense of control. And that reduces the feeling of overwhelm. Right. Well, you know, Adam, we've got just a couple more minutes. So, you know, we've been talking with you about your book, Clarity for Solos, Secrets and Strategies for More Focus, Momentum, and Meaning in Your One-Person Small Business. You can, of course, buy it on Amazon. Um, You do have a website, clarityforsolos.com. So everybody check that out. But, you know, we've got about, you know, a minute and a half left what thought do you want to leave a, a one-person business with that will really help them to be successful in a minute? I know. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Really put me on the spot with that <laughs> but one. But see, you can focus. <laughs> I know you can do this. <laughs> I, think that, I think that, you know, with the risk of being a little self-serving, I will advocate for coaching. I think right. that, you know, when I started out, I wasn't thinking in terms of, of having a coach. And so I really piecemealed my business education. I bought, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of audios and books and, and went to seminars and, and spent, you know, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars over a number of years kind of piecemealing mm-hmm. it all together. And if I had known about the coaching option and I had a sense of how to find a good coach for myself, mm-hmm. I, I would have chosen to, you know, spend all that money uh, at once and invested in one coaching relationship over the long term as opposed to, you know, kind of just putting a few dollars here and there over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I know what coaching is all about and I know how, how much of an impact it can have, I would, uh, I would advocate for that. Great, great. Well, I have really been having a lot of fun talking with Adam Dudley, and I loved your book. Thank I mean, you. It is going to be something that I'm going to go back through because there were some, you know, some files that I want to download and, oh, I do need to set a schedule for every day, you know, and, and because I, I am one of those people that I get sidetracked. I, you know, and, and then at the end of the day, I think, what did I get done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the piles grow, and pretty soon I'm like, ah! So, you know, you have some great tips and techniques, and, and so, again, the book is called Clarity for Solos, Secrets and Strategies for More Focus, Momentum, and Meaning in Your One-Person Small Business. Um, you can get information on clarityforsolos.com. And, you know, Adam, this has been fabulous. I can't wait to chat with you again because I think this is something that, that we need to do on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. I really enjoyed it. Great. Well, I am Deb Creer, and to everyone out there, have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.